Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. On this episode of The Booth Hustle, I talk to Brandon O'Daniel, master distiller of Copper and Kings Distillery in Kentucky. Now, it's no secret that this country has a whiskey obsession, but did you know our American roots actually trace back to brandy? And down in Louisville, among a sea of bourbon producers, Copper and Kings really stand out as creators that specialize in American craft brandies, fruit spirits, among other really cool things. At the helm of Copper and Kings for the last nine years, Brandon actually got his start working in wine and translated those skills into making really unique and fun fruit spirits. One of the most unique things about the distillery, in my opinion, is the sonic aging system that they have down in the cellar. In fact, you can actually check out what the spirits are listening to on a Spotify playlist every day, which is just so fun. And we didn't get into it too much in our interview, but Copper and Kings is also doing some really incredible work in the sustainability space, including using solar energy, they have a closed-loop water recycling program, and they even have a monarch butterfly garden. Uh, I met Brandon, I don't know, like a month or so ago at some events, and I just really loved his laid-back, genuine way of viewing the world. And I know you will, too. I hope you enjoy the episode. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Are you home? No, I'm at the office today. That's a lovely office you have. It looks very cozy. Yes, I have a couch and a nice chair. And uh, yeah, it's about as my second home away from home. You got to make it nice where you spend a lot of your time. I am forever mystified when we go to like I go corporate office buildings and I go in and I see people's offices and they're just like white walls and empty void of creativity like creativity and I'm just like how do you spend eight hours in here I'd fucking lose my mind yeah I can't do it I have to have something to stare at it at least uh when I'm off in the distance yep well um thank you for doing the podcast You're not a hero. problem thanks for having me of course um will you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself like who you are and what you do Yes, I am Brandon O'Daniel. I am the distiller for Copper and King's American Brandy Company. We are a brandy distillery based here in Louisville, Kentucky, making brandy for the bourbon drinker. I love that. You've got that down to like a a, a pitch at this point. <laughs> I've said it once or twice, yes. Once or twice. Once, once or twice. twice. Once or twice recently with me. You were you were yeah. up here doing a a distiller's road show. We had such a good time. It was a uh, it was a lot of fun. Saw a lot of people. Uh, well worth my effort. Well, that's very kind of you because uh, I imagine it was a bit of a slog. Like in reality, it's nice of you to say that. But um, so, listeners, I dragged Brandon and two other distillers up here, up to the northeast, 
for three days where they had literally no break and it was back to back like smiling at people and telling their stories over and over and over and over again and they were very it was a good group it could have been much worse (laughs) yes I have been part of those groups where it's been much worse uh but uh Andy was absolutely fantastic so was Jamie you guys hosted us so well Uh, we had a lot of fun we'll have to do it again we do our best. Um, I apologize in advance for my voice. I was told the other day that I sound like a Vegas cocktail waitress because I've had this cough for three weeks. <laughs> like, what are you having, hon? <laughs> Chain smoking Pall Malls. Apparently, I'm going to be sick forever. This is just my life now. Um, so what's going on in Kentucky? Spring. It is so nice. We have quit having bad weather. It's warm and beautiful. Derby is uh, coming in two weekends. We just Mm -hmm. did our big fireworks show last weekend to kick off the Derby Festival and looking forward to a a big summer full of tours and events and concerts and all good kinds of good stuff. So how do you guys fit into the Derby Day activities down there? Like how does how does what you guys do translate into all the events? So we host a lot of activities here at the distillery. Um, and then there's a lot of activities at a lot of liquor stores and grocery stores that are doing tastings with the Derby that we're a part of. Uh, mm-hmm. So there seems to be a different event somewhere around town uh, starting about two weeks ago. And we'll run all the way into middle of May. Oh, that's cool. Do you have like a fun outfit that you wear? <laughs> Not one I want to talk about, no. Oh, see, now I want to know. Like some leprechaun-like suit or some wild hat or something (laughs) yeah can't you see me in a leprechaun suit no absolutely not (laughs) i can see you maybe in like a flannel with a bow tie (laughs) yeah that's about as far as it gets i have a seersucker when it gets really special and southern but that's about as far as i go Uh all right i want to i want to see pictures of this i want to see fancy brandon we'll make that happen don't worry (laughs) so how long have you been at the distillery and i'm interested to know like the the whole point of this podcast really is I like to talk to people that are in our industry in and around it could be even bartenders I'm really interested in where people got their starts because we all come from very different places Um, so I'd love to hear a little bit about your time at Copper and Kings and then where you're actually from and where you grew up and uh, kind of the trajectory that got you to where you are. Sure. So I have been at Copper and Kings for the last nine years. I have been the first and only distiller here. Really fortunate for that. I got my Kind of my chop started, though, in the vineyard. Uh, family's been in the wine and, and vineyard business since the, the early 80s here in Kentucky. We were one of the first wineries to get reestablished commercially since Prohibition. So I've kind of always raised around the vineyard and under wine tanks and things of that nature. My mother was really into plants, uh, and that's kind of where my passion got started, was just being outside and growing things. Really had no desire to get into the family business and tried to stay away from winemaking and grapes as much as I could. (laughs) Still, though, had a passion for plants. So I went and got a horticulture degree. I was going to go out west and, and, you know, do row crops and things on that nature. Uh, Senior year, I had to write a paper about a horticulture business. Uh, My cousin had just moved back from uh, Tennessee and was starting a consulting uh, business on grapes and winemaking. So I thought, well, I'll shoot out there for a couple of weeks. We'll have a few beers. We'll hang out. And then off off I'll go to California and never see this place again. Uh, (laughs) After about three or four days of just being in the vineyard, working from sunup to sundown, kind of hit me that this is where I wanted to be. And it just kind of felt right. Uh, still was a little unsure, so I went out to California for a little bit and checked that out. 
just didn't necessarily like the vibe. California is a cool state when you can see the ocean, but as soon mm -hmm. as you can't, it, it changes a little bit. It was uh, not as artistic, I guess, is what I was looking for at the moment. So I uh, came back, scrapped things, went to work for my cousin and uh, was part owner in the consulting business there and part partner. At that point, Kentucky was getting rid of a lot of tobacco growers, but there was a lot of federal money coming in to keep Kentucky green. And someone had the grand idea that we were going to be the next uh, Napa, but out in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. So the University of Kentucky started a, uh, a viticulture program. They brought in a, a young viticulture from Turkey. They brought in a winemaker from Cornell just to start this program and just kind of see what we could do because there was a lot of money to spend. Uh, they found me one afternoon in the middle of nowhere out in this vineyard uh, with basically a cut off pair of shorts and no t-shirt and Grateful Dead playing in the backdrop. And uh, after having dinner and a few bottles of wine, they asked if I would be interested in leaving my, my cousin's business and coming to University of Kentucky and working as an extension specialist. And for doing that, I would get my master's degree uh, in viticulture enology while I was doing it. So that seemed like a no brainer. And I, I left the family business and went back to school, hung out there for a while. Once I kind of got my master's degree and it kind of bounced around the state for a little bit, I realized I, I wanted to get into the, or not the education, the commercial side of things. I kind of was done with the education side. So I took over a, a relatively large winery and vineyard here in the state of Kentucky, managed it for about five years. And then I ran into the original owners of Copper and Kings and over some grilled cheeses uh, <laughs> on the, the back porch at the winery one day. Um, we kind of hit it off and st I started doing some contract work for them. The original plan for Copper and Kings was to actually do American brandy out of American grapes. And I was growing quite a bit of American grapes at the moment, native varieties. Uh, so that's kind of where we kind of started off. That actually didn't work out as well as what they wanted as far as the taste profile of the grapes. Mm -hmm. uh, so we went to more traditional brandy grapes. Uh, but they, that being said, they still offered me the position. And then when mm -hmm. I came in and saw the the three at the time, copper pot stills uh, that they'd just been delivered, I was like, well, I have to touch those and I need to play with those. <laughs> so I left the vineyard and the winery and came out here and uh, learned how to make brandy. That's awesome. I love that you've been wooed uh, once in a Grateful Dead t-shirt <laughs> and once over grilled cheeses. <laughs> like, those are my moments. Like yeah. <laughs> Those are the most. Well, now I know if I ever need something from you, I don't have to aim too high. Nope. <laughs> Just like, here's a six pack, a PBR, and a pizza. Let's do it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Um, I love listening to you talk about the stills. You have a very romantic way of talking about them. They're all. Uh, well, I, there's a huge musical tie-in at Copper and Kings anyway, but I'd love if you tell our listeners the story of the stills and where they got their names from. Yep. So when we started out, we had originally, we had three pot stills. We have a 50-gallon pot still. Her name is Sarah. We have a 750-gallon pot still. Her name is Magdalena. We have a 1,000-gallon pot still. Her name is Isis. And then in 2019, we added a 2,000-gallon pot still, Rosemary. They are all hand-hammered, 100% copper pots made by Vendome uh, Copper and Brass Works, which is uh, one of the largest and oldest steel producers in the world. They also happen to be about three blocks down the road from us, uh, which is one of the main reasons why we chose Kentucky, really just for the distilling knowledge. About 90% mm -hmm. of all the distilling knowledge in the, the country here is based within an hour outside of Louisville. 
So anyways, uh, very musically influenced. I was kind of cooking on these three copper pots, just absolutely in love with them, but they didn't have any names. And the, the owner said, well, you're not a true distiller until you name your girls. So we sat around and thought and pitched names back and forth. And then one Sunday afternoon, we're sitting out on the on the front porch and we're drinking some Syrah and some other stuff. And we're listening to some music and Bob Dylan comes on and the boss and I were found out we're, we're big Bob Dylan fans. And we were just kind of chit chatting about our favorite songs and came up with the idea. Well, let, let's name all the pot stills after women or lovers in Bob Dylan's lives. So uh, three of them are off of uh, Blood on the Tracks. And then the other one is, and I'm skipping the name on the title at the moment, but yeah, all four of them are named after uh, women in Bob Dylan. I wonder how Bob Dylan would feel about that. I hope he's honored. Uh, you know, he, ha <laughs> he has a, a part ownership of a distillery. Uh, they've uh, started that before us. I know some of their owners have been down and, you know, we've been very uh, respectful of that aspect. So I hope he, uh, he takes it as, as an honor. It'd be funny if he was like, ugh, Sarah. Ugh. You know, like he's got like a bad taste in his mouth about one of them. And he's like, now it's forever at this distillery. I remember her. Yes. I remember her. She was not my favorite. <laughs> That's funny. Um, I just want to talk, go back a little bit and talk about Kentucky winemaking because I think that's um, something that's really interesting to me as somebody who's worked in wine for a really long time. I think American wine is – okay, I'm going to backtrack for a second here. Generally, outside of New York, the Pacific Northwest, and California, American wine is a very big blind spot to a lot of wine professionals because we're trained from early on in Europe. Australia, South Africa, uh, South America, North America, but only those specific places. So I'd love to hear a little bit about Kentucky, um, what varietals are you were working with there, um, you know, how, how the industry is and, and how you think maybe um, climate change is going to change things in the future. Sure. So Kentucky's in a, a cool little spot. So a little bit of history. We were actually the location of the first commercial vineyard in the United States and the first winery and viticulture school in the United States uh, way back in the late 1700s. We had several uh, Kentucky politicians invest. There was a money disruption amongst some of the higher ups and they, they closed the business down. But Kentucky's actually has a pretty nice history. Uh, we're also geographically located where we get just cold enough to cause these grapevines to be able to actually produce and flower and all that stuff. So we can grow really basic European varieties. So I've, I've experienced Cab, Cab Sauve, Cab Franc. I'm the only person that's ever planted and harvested that I know of, San Giovese in the state of Kentucky. Hmm. Uh, we do some Chardonnays and some Chardonnays as well. Traminette's a French-American hybrid that we grow quite a bit here, uh, Vidal Blanc. Uh, so you're kind of seeing a little bit of these uh, American hybrids and these traditional European grapes being grown here. The interesting thing, what really taught me the most about growing grapes and making wine in the state of Kentucky um, is it's not easy to do. I mean, you can go up New York and Pennsylvania, their weather is a little more similar to us, but it's a little more predictable and not as humid. California, as far as weather goes, as long as the place isn't on fire, it, it's relatively easy to grow good grapes at a very consistent aspect. 
-hmm. Kentucky, not so much. We have very long summers. Uh, we're very hot and humid and we get a lot of rain. So there's a lot of fluctuation between plant growth. Just because I'll get a beautiful harvest this year off of Cab Franc doesn't mean that I'll get a beautiful harvest off of it next year. So what it really taught me to do was always expect something different in the vineyard. There was always either powdery mildew or black rot or downy mildew or Japanese beetles. There was It was always something to fight with. And then that would, of course, being, you know, every a good bottle of wine starts in the vineyard. So any problems I would have in the vineyard, we would officially see in the winery as well. So not only did Kentucky allow me the ability to see all the terrible things that can happen in the vineyard, they also mm -hmm. allowed me to see all the terrible things that can happen in a winery. And because of that, I was able to really get some experience on how to fix those, not only outside in the field, but, you know, in, in the tank uh, farm as well, which has really given me a lot of experience on uh, what not to do, if, if nothing <laughs> else. Uh, so that's kind of what really kind of gave my education aspect of it. Um, that's where I really learned my chops was out in the vineyard, um, just messing up, you know, harvest after harvest, and then eventually getting it right and figuring out exactly what I had to do to make that consistent. Um, and it allowed me not to get uh, lackadaisical, I guess, in my my job and always be on point, always trying to strive for that next thing, uh, which has really done me really well in the brandy industry as well. Yeah, so that's an interesting transition right from looking at grapes a specific way and then using them in a different way how did you I guess how did you make that transition like um did you spend a lot of time like really like tasting and evaluating um other brandies like how did you retrain I guess like at its core it's not like super different like how they're treated at the beginning but will you talk a little bit about the process like where you're getting your grapes from how the experience is different yeah. So, I mean, the winemaking aspect, relatively similar for making table mm -hmm. wine versus brandy. There's a few things that you have to reconsider your acidity and your pH. Um, we're usually the first ones out of the vineyard out west. I usually pick about two weeks before everybody else does. Um, mm -hmm. I want my wine to be palatable but I don't want it to be soft. So I want it to have some acidity and some backbone so that when we throw it into the pot and distill it, um, it has enough to come out to actually have some ump to sit in that barrel. We barrel age our stuff for a minimum of four years. That barrel is going to give me about 50 to 65% of my overall taste profile of mm -hmm. my spirit. But if I don't make sure that that wine has enough backbone to kind of hold up, that barrel will actually eat that spirit. And by the time I'm ready to consume it, it ends up tasting like liquid two by four. Nobody wants that. So I, I guess what I'm trying to get at is it took me a little bit of time how to, to to really kind of readjust how I pick grapes, um, how I grow grapes, my crop load, um, things on that nature so that I could get the change the phenolics uh, from what I was looking for to make table wine to now making wines for, for brandy production. Mm -hmm. And were you drinking brandies before or when you decided to kind of go down this path, did you really have to jump in <laughs> like to the exploratory phase? So I was familiar with the brandy category. I can't say that we drank a lot of brandies at the house. Um, <laughs> we always had a little pot stills and stuff there in the back of the winery and stuff. So we were very familiar with making grappa. Uh, I was a big grappa drinker when I was a winemaker. But no, when, when I really got the job at Copper and Kings, I kind of threw everything away that I knew and then just really started to explore the category just in general, um, go back and look at the history of all the grapes that were available to us. Um, and just kind of really try to, to figure out our own individual fingerprint on how we were going to put on this business. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Will you tell our listeners a little bit about the process that you go through with the apples because you also make an apple brand and how that's different? Yes, so we do make a delicious apple brandy. Currently, mm-hmm. all of our apples are coming out of Michigan. Uh, we typically blend 15 to 20 varieties of apples together as apples, if at all possible. So basically, cool thing about America, we grow a lot of apples in this country. 90% of them are destined for the lunchbox to the table. That means really super sweet, very low in acids, just like what I was talking about with the grapes, having to have that acidic backdrop. Uh, same thing with the apples. So what we decided to do, we originally went in and started picking cider apples. Uh, cider apples, the phenolics are phenomenal. They make great brandies. The issue is we don't grow a lot of cider apples here in the United States. So the price of a true Normandy cider apple or heirloom cider apple three to five times the cost of what you're going to pay wow. for an apple off the grocery store shelf and that's really hard to make a bottle of brandy at 30 or 40 bucks that you can enjoy on a Wednesday afternoon right. so I, I got the idea of going up to Michigan and looking at all these varieties they grow a lot of uh, bitter sharks and bitter sweets so culinary apples so to speak um, applesauce apples and things on that nature uh, so by, I found by blending a tremendous of these varieties together even though I didn't get all the the aspects that I wanted out of one by blending so many together I found that the the sum was greater than the individual pieces mm-hmm that's very cool. Um, your apple brandy is delicious, by the way. Thank you. It's a lot big of fun fan, to make. Big fan. Thank yeah, you. and it's it's a. I mean, it's a good uh, dupe for whiskey. Like you can swap it out in a cocktail, and you know, depending on what you're making. But like I've been making this year a lot of apple old fashions. <laughs> apple brandy old fashions are amazing. 
Um, I'd love to talk a little bit about you and your personal journey to get where you are today without getting too personal if you don't, if you don't want to. It's okay. But, okay. Um, I, I'm curious about um, like your career path. Have you had anyone along the way that's, you know, like who's challenged you the most? Is there someone that really you looked up to as a mentor that really helped you get better and, and what lessons did they teach you? Oh, yeah, that's a really good question. So my viticulture professor through college uh, was definitely my first mentor in the wine business. He taught me all the things that the way to do things correctly. Uh, there was the family style of doing them. And then there was a, well, this is how you do it if you're trying to actually, you know, grow a thousand acres. Uh, mm-hmm. So that he was my first. Um, from there, I've got to give credit to the owners of Copper and Kings. Although Joe Heron was not necessarily a brandy maker, um, he definitely had a vision. He definitely pushed me quite a bit. Um, I was never allowed to say, I, I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. That was never an acceptable answer. Um, and he always, always pushed us uh, to the next level to make us the best as we could be. Got to mm-hmm. give props to, to the wife and kids as well. Uh, there were days, uh, a lot of days where I was not showing up because you know, we were always at harvest or I was traveling or whatever. And she was mm-hmm. able to kind of keep the house, uh, house together and everybody happy. So, yeah, those are some of my biggest mentors. That's great. What do you think people uh, most misunderstand about you? <laughs> that just because I talk slow and sound funny doesn't mean that I'm dumb. Oh, I was going to go the other direction. I thought you were going some some the other way. So, I, <laughs> and by the way, you don't talk slow. You do talk <laughs> funny. You don't talk slow. <laughs> no, I was going to say you're, I mean, in addition to being super cool, you're very progressive and and. I would say in in a lot of your worldviews, and that's and that's something that maybe people, I don't know, I think misunderstand about people with Southern accents sometimes too. <laughs> that is true. Yes, there are a few preconceived notions. Um, I try to break all of those. I am yeah. very very proud of the crew that we have collected here at Copper and Kings. Um, we are a bunch of weirdos and freaks on every single floor, and I love it. I will hire a weirdo any day because uh, if you give them the ability to show up and create, uh, they will perform better for you than just about anybody else. Well, hell yeah. And you're creating community. I think you're giving people a safe place to land and you're saying, I don't care, you know, like nothing about your weirdness weirds me out. You're safe here. Do your thing. And when people feel safe and welcome, I think you get more creativity and loyalty, like loyalty out of the group. I don't know. I think it's just such a better dynamic when it's not homogenized everybody looks the same everybody talks the same you know you want you want an interesting group of people correct I want to be able to have a conversation with somebody that's going to say something completely different than what I am thinking Uh, it causes me to think outside the box it causes me to uh, reevaluate my own opinion on things and I think Mm -hmm. that's important just in general in life I don't think there's enough of that now I I think it's been something weird in the last few years. I mean, and maybe it's been building for longer than that, but it feels even like the volume is louder on it now where people really dig their heels in on stuff now and they're not willing to accept that they might not change their mind one day. And it's like they double down on whatever stupid opinion they had because maybe they said it on the internet once. Maybe they told somebody and it's on social media. So it's like we're allowed to change our minds. You're allowed to be influenced buy another opinion and reevaluate. Like, I think that's, 
I don't know, paramount to being a good human being. (laughs) Imagine if we were were the same at 45 that we were at 25. We'd all be a bunch of idiots. (laughs) Correct. I tell my kids all the time, it uh, it takes all types to make the world go around and uh, make sure that you're enjoying every day. Hell yeah. All right. So what do you do for fun? What are your hobbies outside of um, outside of the distillery? Uh, so big gardener, uh, we, oh, like, yeah, okay. we, we like to travel and uh, watch a lot of uh, music and concerts. And then okay. I'm a big outdoorsman as well. We own a small farm here in Kentucky that we manage for wildlife. Uh, so oh. we're always, always outside doing something, hiking, camping, fishing, hunting, whatever we can get into. That's cool. Like, is it close to, um, to Louisville where you guys are? Uh, it's about an hour and a half outside the city, and then we've got a little cabin there on the farm. So it's just far enough to where, like, you kind of have to stay in order to hang out, uh, yep. but close enough to where when it's time to come home, it, it's not too big of a deal either. It's cool. You have a place to escape to when, like, the world goes bonkers. Correct. Yes, which seems to w- be happening more and more often. Well, days. I will appreciate some GPS coordinates when that happens one day, and I will show up. <laughs> like, here we come are. Da- come down and hang out. It's a It's a really beautiful farm. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and what are you growing? Uh, so we're mainly managing for deer and turkey. So we grow mm. a lot of small grains. Uh, we grow brassicas like uh, turnips and radishes and kale and things along that nature. Uh, but yeah, we're just trying to feed the wildlife. Oh, that's awesome. Very cool. Um, so there's a couple of cool things about the distillery that I'd love to share with our listeners if they're not familiar. And I know you're probably sick of talking about this stuff because it's questions you get asked all the time about the same thing. So bear with me. But I think one of the really unique processes at Copper and Kings is um, the fact that you guys are using music and sonic aging with the the spirits. Would you mind talking a little bit about that? Sure. So as soon as you walk onto the distillery grounds, it's one of the first things you notice is that we're playing music. Half of my assistant distillers are ex-musicians. Music is a a huge part of the distillery aspect as well. But you really get to feel that when you walk downstairs into our cellar. Uh, So we are sitting on a 45,000 square foot building. The bottom uh, basement is three quarters of the way surrounded by earth. And it currently holds about 1,100 barrels. We're also maybe three or 400 yards off of the Ohio River. If I was a little bit better at baseball, I could almost hit it with with a rock. Um, so basically what I'm trying to get at is, is because we're storing our barrels downstairs in this basement and for the most part they're underground, you don't have those heat transitions like you see in most traditional rick houses around here in Kentucky. Um, mm-hmm. I'm way more curious about the barometric pressure changes and the storm fronts coming off that river than I am the hot, the cold. Uh, yes, it gets hot in the summer in the basement. Yes, it gets cold in the winter in the basement, but that transition is a lot longer uh, and you can kind of feel the difference even going from the first floor to the basement. Now, mm-hmm. that being said, there are certain parts of the uh, time of the year in Kentucky where the weather is very stagnant. It just gets mm-hmm. very humid and just it just kind of hangs out. So we always wanted to have a little bit of movement inside those barrels. So we came up with the idea to actually blast music to these things 24-7 to the point you can actually put your hand on the barrel and you'll feel that barrel vibrate. You can pop the bung and look down in it and you'll see that brandy wave or pulsate. And the whole purpose is, is to constantly make that brandy constantly in, in flux. It's always moving. So even though it's not a huge in and out of that barrel, it's kind of a gentle caress. 
uh, with most traditional whiskeys and, and, you know, brown spirits, they're looking for 75 to 85% of their taste profile to come from the barrel. We didn't want that much. We wanted a 50 to 65% like we talked about earlier. So I'm more interested in just a slight caress, just a slight uh, infiltration into that oak and not very far. Uh, so the music kind of gives us a nice little uh, addition to that on the, the, the stale days plus it's super cool to walk downstairs and hear your favorite band just uh blasting music to the <laughs> point you can your heart vibrates uh the guys really like it in the evenings when we're filling barrels to put on whatever they want and it's a cool little interesting aspect for the tour as well uh, we change the playlist every single day you can go on to spotify and listen to what the barrels are listening to um, and it's just a cool little conversation piece what are they listening to today Oh, that's a really good question. Not, <laughs> not, I should have looked that up before I got on well, here. Apparently, wherever your office is, it's uh, far away enough from that <laughs> the music. So uh, I made sure to cut it down for this because I didn't want the, anything falling off the walls. <laughs> that's all right. My dog will start barking in two minutes and I'll have to like pause us. I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about just the community there and it being very whiskey oriented um, and some of the relationships that you have, mostly like what are your favorite whiskeys from down there? Who are your who are your friends in that community that you um, interact with on a regular basis? So big fan of Peerless. If you're not familiar with that distillery, you need to get to know those guys. They make phenomenal bourbon. Uh, of course, who's not a fan of Michter's as well? Um, at I personally have always been a wild turkey fan. You will mm -hmm. always find a fifth of wild turkey on my back bar. Um, so that's always a big one. I thought you were going to say your back pocket. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not, not no. anymore. Not anymore. It's, it's, everything stays at the house these days. Um, right. But yeah, those those are some of my, my biggest ones. Uh, and of course, there's always new distilleries come in. Uh, you know, in this part of the, the country, seems like every day there's a new one going up. Uh, we were really big fans of BBC as well, uh, Barstown Bourbon Company. They were really mm -hmm. good to us when we got started. But everybody in this business is absolutely phenomenal. Um, nobody is in the alcohol business that doesn't want to be. And if you don't want to be, you tend not to last very far. Um, or you work in sales. <laughs> or you work in sales, exactly. Uh, Just no. kidding. <laughs> But it's, it's a, a widget. Whiskey. I mean, it's a whiskey. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. Yeah, you. I've heard you talk a little bit about um, one of the reasons you enjoy being there is because you have such access to barrels. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that? Sure. So because we are not making brandy in Europe and we're not making bourbon in the United States, uh, the TTB or the Alcohol Control Board basically allows us a little more flexibility in the type of barrels that we're able to store our products in. Uh, Kentucky not only has a tremendous amount of bourbon barrels that goes through this place, but barrels from all over the world go through this city and then get dispersed from all, you know, all over the world as well. Um, so it's really cool to be here um, and then walk the docks to some of my favorite cooperages and some of my favorite distilleries smell the barrels that got dumped that morning, be able to pick them out by hand, bring them back to my distillery and have them filled that afternoon. Um, mm. There's nowhere else in the world where I can do that. Uh, and that's what really makes the state so cool, especially for what we're doing. That's awesome. All right. So Brandon, how do we get people to drink more brandy? <laughs> I really wish I knew that answer. Um, you know, brandy's always been an education piece. I tell everybody I'm not selling brandy by the pallet. I'm not even selling brandy by the bottle. I'm selling brandy by the glass. Um, and if I can sit down and, you know, across from you, we can have that conversation piece and, and pack, pass that bottle back and forth. I've got a lifelong customer. Um, but 
really it's it goes back to education you've got to like re-educate the american consumer that brandy is actually delicious it's a in my opinion a, a superior product it takes a lot more time at least to make a brandy than it does a grain spirit when you're dealing with perennial crops your fermentations are a lot longer uh the sugar content's a lot higher so your fermentations it's just a lot more complicated mm-hmm. um but yeah i just feel like we've kind of We've kind of gotten away from our American roots. Brandy was the first official spirit distilled here in the United States off Staten Island. And then we were really drinking quite a bit of it before the Civil War and really even before Prohibition. After those two events, it just got really hard to grow perennial fruit crops here, especially in the Midwest and the East Coast. Mm -hmm. It was way easier just to throw up a, you know, a plot worth of barley or wheat or whatever it may be and then start over the next year. But yeah, I think we need to, we just need to get out a little bit more. We need to have more conversations like this and get on podcasts. I try to get on as many menus as possible. Mm -hmm. Uh, My best salesperson, though, is the bartender. If I can get that bartender excited, he'll talk to more people. They will talk to more people in one day than I'll talk to someone, you know, in in two months. So just educating the right people, getting the right people excited about it. um, And then just really trying to make the spirit just more available in general. And I mean, there's a ton of people that are drinking uh, cognac in this country. And I mean, it's not like a, it's not a big departure. It's just, we got to figure out how to get those people to just start buying American brandy. Like just. I think a a good chunk of those people do not know what cognac is. I, I really feel like there is a disconnect on what brandy is, what cognac is, what mm-hmm. American brandy is and how it's made. Um, I have so many people come up to me and ask, you know, what flavors do you put in this and you know, mm-hmm. what's it made out of? And just even people, you know, there should be relatively educated in the industry, um, just don't know a lot about fruit spirits. So if I'm a um, like a Hennessy drinker, right? What would be your like one minute, not even 30 second, like this is why you should drink American brandy instead? So you should drink American brandy over Hennessy, A, because we're spending more time in the vineyard. We're picking better grapes. We're taking more time in the winery. Uh, and especially here at Copper and Kings, it's way more hand touched than Hennessy. I mean, ours are pot distilled where Hennessy is coming off on mainly column stills. Um, our spirits are typically a lot older here in the United States than what you're going to see on them. Um, and there's just more care and love put in it. I feel like you can taste that. Um, not to knock Hennessy, fantastic no. brand. They're making so much money. It's crazy. I would love yeah. to just snag just a small percentage of that business. Um, but when you set my product, really just American brandy uh, next to, you know, a Hennessy, man, there's a huge difference. Sure. I would agree. Well, what else? What else is there? Anything else you want to throw out to the world? I don't know. What else you want to talk about? I don't know. I didn't I didn't have a ton of stuff for you. I didn't want to steal too much of your time. Um, I really appreciate you doing this podcast. Oh, it's not a problem. It's Friday afternoon. This is some of the, the favorite parts about being in this business. Uh, next to just pulling out of the, the barrel or tasting right off the still. Uh, talking about this to people that are actually interested is really what it's all about. I really appreciate you taking the time to have me on here and talk about something uh, other than, than whiskey or bourbon. So... <laughs> Thank you very much. What I do you know, mean? I've been seeing the back bar you've got over there. It's pretty impressive. Do you see I, what I have right I, there? Yes, I noticed that as well. 
Okay, just Thank checking. You. I have a I have a <laughs> bottle of Butcher Town Copper and Kings in the in the corner of the bar behind my house, not behind my house, behind my head. Ugh, it's it's been a long day, and it's it's not even that late in the day. <laughs> no, it's not even that late in the day. Oh well, my god. Your mom has come down, so when are you going to come down and visit? I know. Uh, soon, I'd like to. Um, I, I got to figure it out because now I have a family member who has been there and I haven't, so that's not a good look. No, that's know? embarrassing. Yes. It is embarrassing. I think I'm going to try to do like a, a road trip situation where I can do um, come see you and go to Nashville at one at one time because uh, I haven't been there either. Which is... Oh, you've got to go see those guys. Uh, Nelson's is phenomenal. The city of Nashville is fun as well. And they were only yeah. about two and a half hours away. Uh, so it's most people that come visit both of us will land in one city and then fly out of the other. Yeah, it's only like three hour drive, right? Yeah, it's not that bad. It's absolutely yeah. beautiful. Well, you're delightful. Thank you so much um, for doing this pod. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thank you. 